This is Tap In, Geek Out. I'm your host, Eric G. Hollis, with my friend, Doug Lund. When I started drinking beer, there was like Budweiser on the market, maybe some Coors Light, and then Sam Adams came out as I got into high school. But even still, before I moved to Colorado, the best beer I think we got in Georgia was Fat Tire. Now the beer market has completely shifted, and when I moved to Colorado, my good friend Tyler from BitFace, who's our first guest on the cast tonight, invited me to a brewery in Colorado Springs called The Fieldhouse. And the first beer I had there was a beer called Sticky Paws. And to this day, it's still probably my favorite beer. Definitely my favorite beer in Colorado, hands down. And we have the guy that brewed that beer here on Tap In Geek Out tonight. I'm going to credit him as introducing me to craft beer. It's such an honor that you are second brewer to be here. Travis Fields, Fieldhouse Brewing. Welcome to uh, Tap and Geek Out, sir. Thanks for having me, guys. I am excited to be here. It's really good to see you. And you said earlier, this isn't one of your favorite beers that you brew. What is? I mean, I'm an IPA guy, so any IPA we brew, we always have a few on tap down there. So I usually have a pretty good selection. But if I have nothing else, Upper Creek is always my go-to. Right on. Where did this all start for you? I know you've told me this story before in person, but our listeners would really like to hear Ah, it. This is my favorite part of Fieldhouse. It started (laughs) with a hatred for my current career, which was electrical. I hated it, and I wanted to do something else, and brewing sounded cool. So I started brewing and loved it. And so we decided to go for it and buy a bunch of shiny tanks and see if we could make it on a bigger scale. And you guys have been going strong. How long has Fieldhouse been around? Uh, we opened in June of 14, so three and a half years. Right after I got here then. And everything seems to be going good. Tyler told me New Year's Eve was super bumping. Oh, yeah. I love New Year's Eve. We do a weekly event on Wednesday night called Test Tap Wednesday, where we tap a new beer every week that we've never done before. And the first year we were open, New Year's happened to fall on a Wednesday, New Year's Eve. So I decided we had to do an epic test tap. So we tapped 10 new beers instead of one. And it took off. And so this was our fourth annual New Year New Beers. And you do 10 beers? 10 beers all at the same time that we've never brewed before. It's fairly ambitious. (laughs) It was, it was, but it worked out. And it's an event people look forward to every year now. Are those 10-gallon batches that you're doing? Those are fives. Fives, okay. Logistically, what is it like trying to brew 10 beers at once? Uh, We start in October. (laughs) And I imagine you've also got like your regular beers that are in the fermenter at that point too. So you're brewing at least a dozen beers concurrently. Yeah, yeah. We have four fermenters, so we've always got four beers going and then a bright tank as well. So we keep them full. But yeah, it's just kind of finding those odd days to brew small batches. We start planning way early and make sure we have all our ducks in a row before we get going. It seems like you might have a theme for the January small batches, or what did you call them? The test? The test app Wednesday. Yeah, we have a theme for every month. Oh, okay. Uh, So every month we pick a theme and then we make beers within that theme. So January is coffee shop month. So we're doing a couple coffee beers, but we're doing like a Jasmine tea IPA, uh, an Earl Grey beer. And then I think, uh, I think we're doing like an orange coffee pale. I don't actually even make the schedule anymore for that. (laughs) Um, I have a test app brewer who takes care of it. Nice. So coffee and tea for the month of January, get like those breakfast beverages in there. What's it like using those ingredients in the brewing process? Uh, I mean, Test Tap came about because we wanted to test our creativity. And so, I mean, we do some crazy stuff sometimes for Test Tap. Like we've made a Nerds beer one time with the Nerds candy. We've done some off the wall stuff. We did a Picho gummy sour and it went over so well. We've done it twice on the big system. Nice. So that was kind of a thing to see how creative we could get 
and it just it's taken off like crazy. What else have you learned from that process in terms of how it's informed the other beers that you're brewing now? Uh, we've learned a, a, a few what not to do things. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> those ingredients don't go well together. Let's not do that again. <laughs> we've learned a lot of that, but it's a great marketing tool for trying new beers out. We get feedback from our regulars. Like I said, it gives us the creativity to try new things that you would never try on a 10-barrel system. So we kind of get those recipes nailed down on a small batch, and then we can scale them up if they're popular. And you guys have had quite a few beers that have been so popular that they've sold out within an hour or two on Wednesdays. That yeah, I think our fastest one was like 32 minutes. When something sells out that quick, is that one that you kind of think, ah, we might want to do that again? We do. We keep track of which ones sell well and which ones last longer. And I mean, we get people every week that are like, oh, when's that one going to be on the full-time lineup? And, you know, we've done like, I don't know, probably 200 test taps now, all different. We can't put them all on the menu. I wish we could, but we get asked about it all the time, every week. How does something make it on the menu? I think you guys have like eight to 10 standard Fieldhouse beers that I can get at any time, right? Yeah, we have 14 taps. Oh, 14, so okay. I think six of those are flagship beers and then the rest are rotators. It kind of is a blending of what people responded to and what we want on our menu, you know, where it could fit a spot. Colorado Springs seems like an unlikely location for craft brew in general. I mean, it's not the first place that I think of, but when I started doing some research ahead of today, I saw that it's actually in the last three or four years in particular really taken off. So what was it like getting into the business at that point when there still wasn't a lot of examples of success around Um, you? We got in just in time. We were, I think, number 11 in the city. And within the 12 months that we opened, we were one of nine or 10 that opened that year. We were kind of part of the first of that big boom locally. And uh, I think there's almost 30 breweries now. Go Colorado Springs. In Colorado Springs. Yeah, we're coming up. (laughs) We're coming for you, Denver. (laughs) And what's that environment like? The other craft brewers here in the Springs, is that a pretty good community? Oh, it's awesome. It is awesome. I couldn't ask for a, a better place to be doing business and a better community to be doing it in. The craft brewing community is so cool here. I've heard that nationwide, like everywhere. It seems pretty cool. You know, we trade ingredients, you know, hey, I'm short a bag of grain or whatever all the time with other breweries on both sides. And we're, we're more than willing to help out. And we've gotten tons of help from other breweries as well. Where do those ingredients come from? If you're running short of something, does that mean that there's like a supply chain issues, this stuff that's coming from out of state or somewhere here in Colorado? It usually means that we're bad planners. <laughs> <laughs> And we don't check what beer we're brewing tomorrow. Uh, that just happened to me the other day. We, I thought we had more Amarillo hops than we had. And my brewer called me and said, hey, we're out of Amarillo. So we had to make a substitution. But there's suppliers all over the nation. There's a couple different warehouses in Denver that you can get all the ingredients you need for. One of our staple segments on Tapping Geek Out, Eric and I almost always talk about a beer at the top of the show. We're all drinking Fieldhouse beers tonight, so I'd like to dive in a little bit further on both the IPA and... Is that a wheat, the Sticky Paws? It is, yeah. It's a honey wheat. Honey wheat? Yeah, we brew it with locally harvested honey from Fort Collins, and there's a ton of it in there. It's not a typical honey wheat. It's 7.5% ABV, which is not normal for a wheat beer. Yeah, that's pretty Um, stout. But it drinks like a session beer. It's nice and light. Fun fact, that beer actually almost made its debut on Tapping Geek Out in episode three, but we all got so drunk that we had to can that episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that'll happen with a beer podcast, won't it? <laughs> well, and a seven and a half ABV, too. Yeah. It happened pretty quick. There's a lot of stories from that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how many Sticky Paws stories I hear that are similar to that. <laughs> and I don't know that I had had the IPA before tonight. 
these guys introduced me to a lot of stuff and they've been talking about you and your endeavor for quite a while now. This is a really hoppy IPA, which is exactly the way that I like them. Sounds like you're a big fan of the hoppy pale ale as well. It's a rye IPA, so it's got that little bit of spicy, a little bit more malty backbone to it, which means we have to put more hops in it to kind of balance it out. So it's bitter. We also put a lot of late edition hops in it to give it that pop of flavor and aroma that you would expect out of an IPA. I'm a total noob. Late hopping is after which process? So typically with brew day, you'll do a 60 minute boil and you'll put hops in, we call it at 60 minutes, which is means when the boil starts and then late edition hops are right at the end of the boil. So we'll put those in with like five minutes left in the boil. So the sooner in the boil you put the hops in, the more bitter you're going to get out of them. The later you put them in, the more flavor you're going to get out of them. So we usually do a bittering hop and a flavor hop. That process is so interesting to me. <laughs> I, it's one of the things that I hope to gain most by talking to these awesome craft brewers here in Colorado. And thanks again for making time to sit down and educate people. Who was it that taught you how to make beer? I actually took a little brew class, like a one-day brew-your-own class at a local brewery here. And then I went crazy with it. And that day I went out and bought a homebrew setup and went to town. From day one, we knew we wanted to do this for a living. So I learned the basics in that class. And I just kind of taught myself recipe formulation and what works, what doesn't work. And I mean, we were brewing once a week in the garage for two or three years before we opened. What year was that that you got started? December of 2010. Just over seven years ago was my first ever homebrew batch. Wow, man. You've come a long way in just under eight years then, I guess. (laughs) I'm ambitious. (laughs) The Sticky Paws name is one of my favorite things about the beer. I mean, I like the way it tastes, but I think the name is just perfect. I have a feeling that the IPA up a creek has an interesting story behind it. Probably less interesting than you would think. We did that as a fundraiser for uh, our local watershed, and their event was called Creek Week. So we kind of played off that and came up with up a creek. Oh, gotcha. So. Water. It's a pretty important ingredient to a brewer, I <laughs> it think. It is. It is. Yeah, beer's like 90% water, so we got to make sure it's good. <laughs> Are you guys still running the charity event on Blackberry Sticky Paws? Uh, That ended New Year's Eve. Yeah, end of December. But yeah, that was a great event. That was for the Empty Stocking Fund, which is a local fundraiser charity for health and human services uh, charities in town. And and it went really well. We were extremely happy with how Blackberry Paws went over. I could not find that beer often because it was very often sold out. I know. We had that problem. It was a problem for me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a problem for us. I could have sold a lot more of it. I'm just really happy I can get Fieldhouse beer at my liquor store down the street. Yeah. Not that I don't like coming to the Fieldhouse, but God, I can go pick up Fieldhouse beer whenever I want to. Yeah. I yeah, can have we, Sticky Paws whenever I want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We just started canning about, well, right out a year ago now. So we've been in cans for a year locally in liquor stores. How much complexity did that add? Not as much as I would have thought. Uh, I mean, it's a whole new machine and process and quality control setup. But we were doing bombers before, so we kind of had a little bit of a taste of packaging. And then we did cans, which just kind of was switching over to a new container. And you're doing that all in-house. We are. Which is, I don't think, typical for most brewers your size. I've been asked quite a few times how I fit that whole operation into our space. Our space <laughs> is pretty tiny. Did you guys know you wanted to do packaging and distribution from the beginning? It was always, yeah, it's always been the goal to work towards that. World domination? Yeah, and how far does your distribution reach right now? Just Colorado Springs right now, locally. Uh, we're in about 20 stores locally. Any plans to grow that in the near future? There are plans. 
<laughs> I can't say much about it because they're just plans right now. But um, but there yeah. are there are plans for for a, a second location for Fieldhouse, a second packaging location, or like a second tap room. Both up in Denver by chance? No, in Colorado Springs. Oh man. yeah, we're looking we're looking in Colorado Springs. So <laughs> down the street across next to Over Easy. Yeah. Yes, right there. How'd you know? <laughs> Is that really it? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was hoping I could walk there. Yeah. No, we don't know yet where it's going to be, but we know we're, we're looking. We recommend right over here. I will keep that in mind. You know, we're good for, you know, a couple beers a week, so that should help. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I need is like eight beers. If you guys can commit to eight beers, I'll put it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Done. <laughs> when you first started brewing, did you gravitate towards the IPA because you like the taste of it? Is it easier to brew? It, it sounds like you're a big IPA fan, but I think your wheat is the most delicious beer ever, so... I, you know, I didn't start out with craft beer loving IPAs. I kind of had to learn how to like them. But what I like so much about IPAs from a brewer standpoint is there's like, you know, with an amber or with a blonde, there's not a whole lot of variety that you can do with them. It's kind of like that's what it is. And it's hard to be unique with those beers. With an IPA, there's just so much you can do within the style to be unique. You know, that's why you see so many IPAs is because with all the hop varieties and combinations and different stuff you can do with them, they're just so versatile. In terms of either its usability or the flavor that it produces, what kind of ingredients are you really a big fan of? So I have a love affair with Australian Galaxy hops. Me too. Man, they're so good. You can put those in any beer and it will just automatically make that beer good. And for those who might not know exactly what that yields, what is that experience? There's a lot of tropical fruit and a lot of just citrus, and and they're just so flavorful. What beers at Fieldhouse are featuring those hops right now? Oh, we don't use them too often because they are expensive and they're hard to get. I probably share that sentiment of those hops with a lot of people. But we right now actually have a single hopped Saison that's hopped with Galaxy. And I know this is going to sound like a naive question, but Australian Galaxy, are they from Australia? Hops come from different regions. There's American, there's European, like English, there's French and Czech hops, there's New Zealand, there's Australia. So just like if you think about wine, each different grape comes from a different region for a reason. And you get those same kind of flavor differences from hops when they come from a different area. I know a lot of people that assume that hops are only used in hoppy beers, but it's part of the brew making process in general with a sticky wheat. What kind of hops are used in that crafting process? If you didn't put hops in a beer, it would just be like drinking sugar water. It would be super sweet. So even if you don't put very many hops in there, you still want some hops in there just to balance it and give it that little bit of bitter. It gives it a little bit of dryness sometimes, depending on how you do it. But Sticky Paws is made with a hop called Willamette. It's an American hop. Is that one that's more common? Just because I haven't heard of it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it's a pretty common one. Pretty common, easy to get. So so you weren't a big fan of IPAs at first. What kind of led you into enjoying the hoppier beers? When I first started brewing, everyone told me, like, one day you're going to fall in love with IPAs. And I was like, no, I'm not. They're God, hops are gross. I don't like bitter. And I just kept trying them because people said, like, you're going to love them. And plus, as a brewer, like, I need to know what an IPA should taste like. Just like I need to know what a honey wheat should taste like, even if that's not my go-to. So I just started drinking them, and, and the more I drank them, the more I liked them. That's something I never realized either, is that there was so much variety or, or nuance or things that you could do with an IPA. Is that what explains the popularity in the U.S. right now with that style? Yeah, I think so. There's tons of different styles of IPAs. You can do a, you know, like double IPAs, which are big, kind of boozy. West Coast-style IPAs are just like in-your-face hot bombs. 
You know, there's English IPAs that are a little bit maltier. The new trend right now is called a New England style IPA. Basically, they just load them up with hops at the end of the boil and in the dry hop, and they don't filter them. It's kind of like a thing, or they call them hazy IPAs. Uh, Typically, an IPA would be filtered, so it's clear. But this new style, they're leaving it hazy on purpose, and that's supposed to kind of help the flavor and kind of leave some of that hop elements in there that you would lose with a filter. They are delicious. It's a good style. And they're a little bit less bitter, so they, they pack them with late edition hops and not so much in the front end. So you get kind of like full of flavor, but not that bitterness that you would expect. Gotcha. So maybe a good IPA for someone who is starting down that path of trying yeah. to find an IPA that they can appreciate. Absolutely. That would be a great place to start. I know a couple of people that aren't big fans of IPAs. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fine, right? I mean, oh, because totally, yeah. if you drink, don't like IPAs, there's still lots of other beer out there. Drink what you want. Drink what you like. Unless it's Budweiser, but don't drink that. <laughs> I feel like they maybe get more attention uh, disproportionately because uh, it does seem like when you go to any tap house that they're going to have several IPAs and, and then some other beers as well. Besides the IPA, what other kind of styles are you having fun with right now? Uh, I love sours. We don't have really a barrel aging program. We do what's called kettle souring right now, which is basically you, you sour it before the boil. And you get those sour elements, but you don't have to worry about all the contamination that can happen with those souring bacteria. That is like a specific kind of yeast that yields that a sour beer, right? It's actually a bacteria. Yeah, it's called lactobacillus, and it's not a yeast. It's oh, a, it's not? It, it is a bacteria. There's a distinction. God, I love how much I learned from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that I zeroed in on on your test taps that you were doing. It was a uh, – it sounded really complex. There was two of them, actually – the chai spiced caramel macchiato stout. It's mm. so good. <laughs> Did you try it with the chai? I think I have had it with the chai, correct? Or maybe maybe not. I'm not sure. It was just a test tap. Maybe I haven't had it with the chai. I've definitely had that beer before, though. The caramel right? macchiato. If, yeah. if you didn't go down this Wednesday, you probably haven't had it with the chai. Well, then, <laughs> you know better than I do, sir. <laughs> You've done that beer before, though. Correct? We have, yeah. And actually, this year, we put it in cans. Oh, wow. So some of our stores have it, some don't yet, but it will be at all of our stores probably within the next week or two. But yeah, so we took that caramel macchiato stout and spiked it with chai for the test tap this week. How much did I miss out on? Oh, it was good. (laughs) (laughs) How long do those usually last once you tap them? You know, sometimes they last till Thursday or Friday. Sometimes they're gone in two hours. I've shown up and not been able to get, except there was one glass of beer left that your mom saved it for me (laughs) one week, and I was an hour late. Was that a mom joke? No. No, No, it really, his his mom really did (laughs) save me one of your beers and said, I want to make sure Eric gets to taste this because that's how quick the tap went that night. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Some of them is just nuts. And there's a lot going on the name, so it sounds like there's probably a lot that goes into the crafting of a beer with that many different flavors. Yeah, yeah, you have to be careful to not overdo any of the flavor. It's easy to get too much chai or too much of the flavor you're going for, and then it just tastes like that and not beer. Whose idea was it to add chai to uh, an already coffee-centric stout? So we have a test tap brewer, and he just brews once a week. He does all of our test taps, so he has pretty much full creative control. So that was his idea. His name is Ben. Is Ben the one who used to have the really uh, long beard? Yeah, and he cut it off, and I almost fired him for you it. Should have, man. <laughs> well, I, I did, but then I took him back because I didn't want to bartend that day. So. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, he had a, he had a good beard going on. How long has he been doing your guys' test apps? Uh just over a year now. Okay, 
Yeah, I haven't been down as much in the last year because I've moved jobs way up north instead of down south. Mm, that'll do it. It was really easy to just stop by on my way home when I was working down south, and now it's less so. Yeah, and when I used to have Thursdays off of work, I was at Fieldhouse every Wednesday. But <laughs> yep. now I have to work on Thursday. <laughs> and coming down to Fieldhouse on a work night is dangerous. It is. Sir. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Very, I, very so, much so. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Another thing that I picked up from your list of beers that you keep on tap often is that you guys seem to be very friendly to the gluten-free community. We are. How has that challenged the crafting process? Because it seems like anything that you're starting with as your base is going to be some kind of gluten. Yeah. To be completely honest, I hate brewing (laughs) gluten-free. Like I love that we have it, but I have never enjoyed a gluten-free brew day. It's just tough to work with. We use millet. And it's a much smaller grain than, than barley, so we have all kinds of problems with our mash getting stuck and not getting the sugar out of it that we should, and I mean, all kinds of problems. You know, with brewing, you can look up online how to brew beer. You cannot look up online how to brew gluten-free beer. So <laughs> it has been an experiment every time we try a new beer. You know, we've dumped a couple because it just was not good. So we've had to kind of learn from scratch how to brew gluten-free. And that's pretty much true of anything that they try and do gluten-free, right? Uh, Yeah. Any kind of food, trying to make it fit the texture and the taste and whatnot. But it seems like the gluten-free community is growing faster than the industry can really keep up with it. So I probably speak on behalf of everyone out there who's trying to follow a gluten-free diet. Thank you for pushing through, even though it doesn't sound like it's much fun. Are you still maintaining three gluten-free tabs? Yeah. Yeah, we have three on tap down there, and then we have a red that's kind of our flagship gluten-free that we also put in cans. I shouldn't take all the credit, though. You should thank my wife for us having gluten-free <laughs> beer. She has celiacs, so that's why we do it. Gotcha. That, yeah. was, that was the one stipulation when I came home and told her I want to open a brewery. She said there had to be something there for her to drink that didn't suck. <laughs> so, so, oh, I, so, so you're locked in, man. You're committed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no getting rid of the gluten-free. <laughs> and what was the name of the one that you guys are canning? Uh, it's called Foreman Red. Foreman, okay. Oh, yeah, today. We, yeah. we did see that. It's a red? Yeah, it's like a red ale. It's kind of like an amber, uh, a little bit different, but it's real malty, uh, not real hoppy. Pretty easy to drink. Is that the one that comes in a four-pack? Yeah. Does that mean it's pretty high ABV? No, that means millet's expensive. Ah, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Premium yeah, gluten-free millet, beer. Yeah, millet costs about four times what barley costs. So so that's also in line with the rest of the gluten-free industry. Expensive ingredients, it, it's hard to make, and it, it sounds like it, it's still going to be a, a work in progress for, yeah. for some time to come. Yeah, but, we've uh, come a long way with it. Like we, We've got a few good base recipes that we kind of spin off of to do other ones very often when the only sour you have is the gluten-free sour i'll drink that over a lot of your other beers and that's what people have been doing with the stout we have right now too wow i want to try this gluten-free sour because i've never had a gluten-free beer when i see gluten-free i'm like well i can have gluten so (laughs) that's and that's a lot of people it's funny when we do the tastings at liquor stores we'll taste that one on people and People will not buy it unless they've tasted it, but often at liquor store tastings, that will be our best seller of the night. Once people try it and realize it doesn't suck just because it says gluten-free. What about some other non-traditional styles like root beer seems to be a big favorite of craft brewers in Colorado? Yeah, we do make a house-made root beer. Oh, tell me about that. It's delicious. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's made with the same honey we use in Sticky Paws. Is it alcoholic or? It's non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's really, really good. Even for someone that doesn't like root beer? 
It is the best root beer I've ever had. I like root beer. Do you not like root beer? Not really. I love root beer, so I, I think it's delicious. It's like the good version of like Barg's, which in my opinion is the best root beer that is distributed because it's got that kind of like kick. It's a little like tangy and it's just like a better version of that. Is that something that was done to please a particular individual? <laughs> that one is a non-alcoholic option for people. We have a lot of kids come in with parents. Uh, we try to be pretty kid-friendly, you know, as far as you can be with an alcoholic establishment. But kids are always welcome. We have this one dad that comes in all the time. His wife works nights, and so he tells his kids they're going to the root beer store. And he comes and has beer while they have root beer, and they love it. They come, like, once a week. Um, so just to give, you know, give people that option. And some people just don't like beer. So there's always something there for people who don't like beer to be able to enjoy while they're... People at a brewery that don't like beer? Yeah, it, yeah, designated drivers, maybe. Yeah, designated drivers and yeah. people who I mean, we've Willy had people. Wonka. We've, we've had people come in and like order a Bud Light from us before, and we're like, yeah, that's the we're not that's not us. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be a vastly different process, though, since there's no part where the yeast is producing the alcohol. Oh, it's actually really easy to make. It takes like five minutes. Oh, okay, it's super easy. <laughs> so there's probably no more interesting questions to ask about root beer. Is what you're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty easy process. I mean, we because there's nothing that ferments, so we basically just make the root beer and then carbonate it. We do have a segment on the show, Travis, where we ask everyone about their first beer. What is it, Grandpapa? I remember my first beer. I'm trying to think of what my first beer was. A lot of people can't remember theirs. Do you have a good beer story? Because that's an acceptable substitute. I feel like every beer story is a good beer story. <laughs> Does anyone have a bad beer story? What's your favorite beer story? Some of my favorite beer gatherings, sometimes just get together with friends. We call it a bottle share. And everyone just goes to the store and finds a cool bottle that they haven't had, like a bomber or something. And then we just open them all up and try a little bit of each one. Those are really fun events that we do we just kind of do them at our house or whatever that's a great idea yeah we should have one of those yeah we're totally stealing that <laughs> steal it thank it's you not mine i stole it too <laughs> uh, but your no those are, did those that. are fun another not your mom joke but your mom no. actually had that kind of party yeah my parents you know them yeah because they stop by the field house all the time they'll go around to all the different breweries and they'll pick up howlers or growlers and they'll invite people over and they'll do kind of bottle shares for people yeah just same of, idea of different breweries so yeah so those are fun that's my beer story <laughs> bottle shares that works especially advantageous to us and whoever else listens to this that might think that's a great idea so to that extent when you're not drinking your own beer i'm not going to ask you about specific brands but what are your styles or or, uh, or maybe you do want to talk about the other brands that you like i'll give a shameless plug to odell i love odell which one specifically right now i'm all about rupture it's their fresh grind ale and they actually take whole cone hops and they've made this thing to like, it's like a food processor and they crush them up. And so they're fresh, but they're not whole. And so you can get all the utilization out of them. And it, it's just so good. It's so flavorful with hops. And that's the one I'm on right now. But my all-time favorite Odell beer is Mercenary. It's their double IPA. I'm a big fan of their levity. Yeah. I went up to their brewery. It's a good tour. Good people. I've never had an Odell beer that I didn't like. Yeah. They're just solid. Do you find yourself drinking a lot of beers from other brewers, not only for good times, but also for comparison? I don't ever feel like I compare, but I do like, I mean, people ask me that all the time. Where are you drinking? You buy at the liquor store buying beer? You own a brewery. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I like more than the 14 I make. <laughs> yeah. 
there's some good beer out there, especially in Colorado, and it would be silly to not take advantage of that. So yeah, I like a ton of different beers. I'm always drinking something new. I think you do compare, though, because this is the best honey wheat. In fact, I think when we originally reviewed this, this is one of the two beers I've given five stars. Oh, yeah. Two. I love this beer, man. And the fact that it's a 7.5 for a drinker like me, that is the icing on top of the fucking cake. <laughs> yeah. it, it really is. It's so good. Normally, we'd see E go through a 12-pack in like a night, and he slows down a little bit when he has some sticky bones. You, you got to do that, yeah. <laughs> Only slightly. (laughs) It's great. It tastes amazing. I'm so excited I can get it at my liquor store. But I'm also excited that it's still served at the field house and that you don't like it. The fact the guy that made it's like... I didn't say I don't like it. I just said it's not my favorite. There is a difference. There's a difference. That's true. Not putting words in your mouth. I love this. And thank you so much for making this beer and also for turning me on to... I don't know, a whole new world of beer. In fact, the first time I ever came into the field house, you took me back and showed me the tanks and everything, and you were so proud. And, that, dude, that that meant a lot to me. It said that you really put your heart and soul into this beer, and that's why it tastes so good, brother. Yeah. Well, that's what it's about, man. It's it's about me doing something I love and providing a place for people to be that they enjoy and to have beer that they love. And so that's why we do what we do. This is the part where I get selfish and ask for advice for people who are thinking about getting into home brewing. All right. <laughs> Travis was like, great. <laughs> That's what that head nod meant. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm ready. At some point during 2018, not only because this is something that I've meant to do for a long time, but it's something that I have a lot of exposure to. I, I'm in IT, but one of my customers is the Brewers Association, which, as you know, puts oh, yeah. on the, the Great American Beer Festival. So it's kind of this culture that I have become surrounded with. I kind of feel obligated at this point to start making beer. <laughs> and you've probably got this question before. You've learned a lot in the eight years that you've been doing this. What's some good advice that you'd like to pass along to the noobs? Well, so first of all, I'm going to go in a different direction for a minute. That's awesome that you want to try something new. One of the things we're all about, not as Fieldhouse necessarily, but as us personally, is new experiences and trying new things and getting out of your box and comfort zone. That's why I'm where I am today is because I was willing to try something new and get out and not be comfortable and learn. That's why we've been successful. That is that is the reason for Sticky Paws. So cheers. Um, so yeah, get out and and try new stuff. Whether it's home brewing or climbing a mountain or you know whatever, go try new stuff. It's so important to try new stuff and expand your boundaries and and your comfort zone. So anyway, with that's that, great advice. Um, with that, uh, as a new home brewer, do your research, learn a lot before you try to start. Um, Are there still classes like the one that you took? I don't know if that brewery does them anymore, but there's uh, there's actually a local homebrew club that would be great to, you know, if you got into it and wanted to learn from some homebrewers that have been doing it for a long time. There's a local homebrew club called the Brew Brothers. There's some guys in there that know a lot of stuff about beer. So that would be one place I would start. There's just so much out there on the internet that you can learn from. But really, I think the best teacher is experience. You know, you can read all you want about it, but till you brew a batch of beer, you don't know what it's going to be like. I've heard you use the word we a lot as you've been describing what you're doing tonight. I assume you haven't been alone in this process. I guess we would be my wife and I. (laughs) Does she brew too? She knows how. She doesn't brew a whole lot. She's brewed some of the gluten-free beers. She's more on the HR side. That's important. You got to have that. Got to have it. 
we would not be successful without her. So <laughs> no, what she does is invaluable to the brewery. It's priceless. So thanks to Nikki for what she does. Oh, you've got a wife named Nikki too. I do. And mine is also on a gluten-free diet. Oh, yeah. uh, Well, that's the whole reason I decided to ask about that because it has been difficult. She enjoys beer too, but has had to practically stop drinking it. And I'm thankful that now I'll be able to have a recommendation to give her. Yeah. That, uh, has she tried Foreman Ren? She has not. I know because I have not. And I drink everything that she drinks. And I think I would know if she would have tried it at this point. But I live up in Denver. The only way for me to get your beer is to pick it up while I'm down here, which I'm going to make a point to do. Yeah. Well, if you're up there, there's a brewery in Golden called Holla Daily. And they are 100% gluten-free. Holla Daily. He's like, let me write this down real quick. <laughs> I've been writing all kinds of stuff down today. I've learned so much. <laughs> Yeah, I'll throw that out there because I'm not in Denver, so <laughs> he's like not no competition me. <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, I've tasted some of their beers and they're very good, and they're all gluten free. Their facility is 100% gluten free. I'm looking forward to hearing about your expansion into the Denver market, whether it's just distribution or if you guys open up a, another location up there as well. Yeah, we definitely won't open a location up there, but never. Probably not. <laughs> I shouldn't say never, but uh, that is not in the plans at all. But distribution up there is in the future plans at some point. Right on. Congratulations, Denver. (laughs) (laughs) And there's some good beer up there, though. I'm going to have some good competition up there. There is a lot of good beer. In my opinion, the greatest thing about the state that we live in is the craft brew scene. There's great scenes across the country and the world, and I think ours is the best. But Yeah, I think so, too. I'm biased. (laughs) Yeah, well, and it's it's growing still, too, so it's just going to get better. Right on. Well, before we start to get wrapped up here, is there anything in particular that you want to talk about events-wise or release schedule-wise or anything with Fieldhouse? I would just say make it a point to come try Test App Wednesday. That's our ongoing weekly event. I don't think we have anything big planned in the next couple of months. So, Where exactly in Colorado Springs are you guys located? So we're at 521 South Tejon, which is downtown. Cimarron is the north cross street. I know you're looking at us to see if we have anything else to ask. (laughs) I don't in particular. We are at a perfect time here. We've got a great episode. I'm looking at you guys to see if there's anything else that you want to add. I think the one thing I would add would be not necessarily related to beer, but just related to the experience thing. It was beer for me. That was my passion, but everyone's got something that makes them tick. I would just encourage everyone to go find what that is if you don't know what it is and do that more. That's awesome. Not only are you here to talk about beer and what you guys are doing, but dispensing great life advice as well. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I have some side projects not even related to the brewery at all that have to do with that. Because I think it's important. If we stay in our comfort zone and stay with what we're doing, we're never going to grow and we're never going to find what we were put on this earth to do. Uh, The only way to do that is to go find it. And if you don't know what that is, go find it. Do new things and find what you like to do and then do that. I don't think enough people do that. I can't think of any better note to end on than that one. So, Travis Fields, thank you for joining Tap In Geek Out today. I'm Doug Lunn, Eric G. Hollis. Run TRG. Thanks for bringing Travis to the cast. If you're a brewer by trade or hobby or a geek with any kind of opinion, we invite you to come be part of the show. We'll be waiting to hear from you at tapingeekout.com.